Purple, get ready to roll indeed. This is the College and Kimball podcast. I am Jeff Burkhart, joined by Justin Nutter, getting set to break down once again another huge game and what has just been a an unrelenting stretch for your K-State Wildcats. It seems like each and every week we're facing a team that's right in the thick of it for, a con- for the conference championship bid and... No rest for the weary, as they say. So K-State's got to have to pick themselves up off the mat after dropping a tough one to the University of Texas last Saturday in Manhattan, 34-27. to The Wildcats now get set to turn their attention to the Baylor Bears, which are coming in riding a little bit of a hot streak here, having won three consecutive in-conference play. Before we dive too deep into this, a quick request of our listeners to follow us on Twitter at college underscore Kimball and subscribe to our podcast on whatever your preferred app is that being said justin let's go ahead quickly here because i don't want to revisit this because this game was it was tough and it was frustrating on so many different levels but let's go ahead and and here for a couple moments talk about the texas game uh first and foremost I, i want your your reaction to adrian martinez getting the nod as the starter at qb uh, a lot of the chatter, at least where I was sitting, a lot of people surprised, some people angry and frustrated. Uh, I, I don't know where you fell on that spectrum. Candidly, I didn't really care one way or the other, but how did you come in feeling about Adrian getting the nod? I tend to side with riding the hot hand, and that certainly you know would have been Will Howard coming off the, the shellacking that they had put on Oklahoma State the week before. But that said, I had kind of said even driving into Manhattan, I'm not going to be surprised one way or the other. I just hope that if Whoever gets the start comes out and struggles. They have a relatively short leash, right? Because it's not one you can allow to get away from you. Um, unfortunately, the game got away pretty quick uh, by no by no fault of the quarterback play in the first half. You know, you can't you can't really dig yourself in that kind of hole, giving up 31 points before the break, and you know expect to come out with a win. And uh, to answer your original question, you know, I wasn't terribly surprised that Adrian got the start. Um, Obviously, a couple of pretty glaring turnovers that ended up really being the difference. But I think for the most part, he played a pretty good game overall. You know, you would expect him to be a little bit rusty, having not taken a snap essentially since that first drive in Fort Worth a few weeks ago. But, uh, you know, for the most part, I think he played all right. But, yeah, those those turnovers are definitely hard to look past. Uh, We'll get into it a little more later, I'm sure. But I don't know that I necessarily put that last fumble entirely on him. I will say uh, that pick happened basically right in front of me uh, where I was sitting and I had turned and said to my brother-in-law at the time, you know, if, if K-State does have it in an amount to come back, that's going to be pretty glaring. Cause that, you know, was essentially seven free points for Texas right before the half. So you hate to see that, you know, his first, his first interception of the year comes at a pretty terrible, pretty inopportune time. And then, uh, you know, in my opinion, there were some real clock management issues for the K-State offense in the last couple of drives even the last one that ended with a field goal to cut it to a one-score game. K-State got that face mask call against Deuce Vaughn that set them up in pretty good position, and then they ended up burning about two more minutes of clock and not really advancing the ball any further and having to settle for three. That was pretty killer. And then, uh, you know, they were moving the ball on that last drive after a stellar stop by the defense when they needed it most. Just let me go ahead and give credit where it's due there. Um, K-State was moving the ball on that last last drive with a chance to score. Didn't look particularly clean or organized doing it. The fact that K-State had two pocket or excuse me, two turnovers in its pocket at that point is still a little bit bewildering to me, I guess. Um, you know, to pick up for all intents and purposes a prayer on fourth and six and then to scramble up to the line knowing you had two abilities to stop the clock and didn't take either of them. Pretty frustrating. So I don't know that I necessarily put that last turnover entirely on Adrian. Um, but all that to be said, K-State did not play a very good game, especially for a half, and still had a chance to go down and tie or win it at the end. So very frustrating to know that, you know, probably a D plus C minus effort overall still kept us in it when, you know, a B effort probably wins that game possibly by multiple scores. So definitely feel like we let one get away. And now we're, you know, back into a three, four horse race here for a shot at Arlington. Whereas you would have had a really clearly defined inside track to a spot in that big 12 championship game. So tons of work left to do now. So, I mean, the margin for error is pretty much gone at this point. 
you hit pretty well all the talking points that uh, I wanted to touch on there. Uh, some perplexing decisions, like you said, clock management, those last couple of drives, the, the two straight runs to deuce once they had got inside the uh, inside and the goal to go situation and that. And, and then, like you said, the, the fire drill at the very end was was really the most confounding of all. But at the end of the day, I don't place this squarely on the shoulders of Adrian Martinez simply because he accounted for almost 400 yards all purpose and three touchdowns. This was very much the story of the defense just getting worked over by the Texas offensive line. They opened up holes all day long for Bijan Robinson. Texas ran the ball very effectively. Bijan went over 200 yards, and I, I said it in my when with my tailgate group before the game and you're you're more than happy to give let Bijan go for 120 130 in average you know five and a half ish a carry you just don't want him to have the monster game and that's what he ended up putting out and and he he did exactly what you wanted to from the offensive standpoint and I'm sure what Sark wanted to do is is not put a lot of stress on on Quinn Ewers to make tough throws in pressure situations and and they they didn't really have to do that they stayed ahead of the sticks all day long that I there were so many second and threes and second and fours where again, the Texas just won on first down that just allowed them to, to own the line of scrimmage and K state losing Julius Brents hurts in some respect, but in the same breath, you had Daniel green back at linebacker. And I think he, he was obviously tasked far more than, than any defensive back would have been in, in helping out and run support. And to that point, K state just did not deliver uh, when the lights were brightest, unfortunately. And, and as I said, it was really the defense that let down K-State for the first time, I would say, all season long. That was probably the most disheartening aspect of this loss. But it is in the rear view officially now. K-State falling again, 34-27. to 27. It is the sixth straight loss to the Longhorns, which is crazy to think about again, where, where we were as, as students, where K-State just had Texas's number and where things are now. It's been a, a, obviously a, a frustrating turn of fortunes there. K-State barely hanging in the top 25 this week after enduring that setback. They're 19th in the uh, CFP rankings, and uh, they're going to have to obviously win if they want to stay in the top 25. And again, you mentioned it uh, from the Big 12 title perspective. Uh, it's out of your hands now, and, and that's probably the the aspect of that game that sucked the most is that you, you had a chance to really just firmly get a stranglehold on the second place spot. You would have effectively eliminated Texas from consideration and you put your, you would have put yourself also in a position to potentially drop this Baylor game and still be in, in a decent spot to, uh, to make it. But at the end of the day, K-State does need some help now, and Texas will be hosting TCU, so that's going to be a pretty big uh, decider in terms of whether or not UT can get themselves back in the race or if they're going to be eliminated this week. K-State and Baylor both very much still in the race, and and honestly, as strange as it may sound, some outside shots with Oklahoma State and Kansas still hanging around here depending on how things break out there there's a there's a path for for a lot of different teams it's going to be a wild fight to the finish here as far as who's going to get that number two spot and be the second team in the big 12 championship game so with that being said let's go ahead and turn our focus to the baylor bears they are coming into this game at six and three four and two in conference play winners of three straight following a 38 to 35 victory over the oklahoma sooners in norman and that was just the program's second all-time victory in sooner country Baylor's coached by Dave Aranda, year number three for him. He was the Big 12 champion last season, 12-2 and two overall, were the Bears' first 12-win campaign in program history. Baylor 20-12 and 12 overall under Coach Aranda. And as far as the series is concerned, Baylor leads it overall, 10 games to nine winners of the last four not sounding all too dissimilar from what we were talking about last week with Texas. Dave Aranda is 2-0 against Kansas State. Chris Kleiman, once again, confronted with another get-over-the-hump 
type of game. And he is 0-3 against Baylor. A win at McLean Stadium would be huge for him. Aranda is 12-3 on Baylor's home turf, and K-State hasn't won in Waco since 2016. So we're looking to buck a number of trends here. And, and Nutter, as we, we start to dive in now to the tail of the tape, looking at this Baylor squad, Honestly, I know where they stand right now at six and three is a, a little bit deceiving in my mind. They they lost a game, they they frank two games, frankly, that they should not have. The 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 setback to BYU was a game in which I, I felt like they really did outplay the Cougars and, and just to see BYU kind of fall off a cliff or at least from where they were early part of the season to where they are now. That's one I'm sure Dave, uh, Dave Aranda and company would like to have back. And also the, the total dick trip of a game in, in Morgantown, one in which they just went up and down the field on West Virginia. But Blake Shapin gets injured in that one, and you have to throw an inexperienced quarterback in there to, to handle the most critical drive of the game. And Baylor, sadly, uh, very much the same way K-State was when they went down to TCU and came up on the short end. Baylor let that one get away as well when JT Daniels drove the Mountaineers down for a late go-ahead score. And Baylor, while at six and three, could very easily be eight and one and, and really be right in, right up there with TCU in the heart of the discussion for a Big 12 championship. Well, and frankly, even their third loss was against an Oklahoma State team that is now basically in free fall mode, right? I mean, yeah. you got to feel like Baylor probably wants another crack at any one of their three losses. So, uh, yeah, I mean, I, it, their, their record is a little bit misleading in the fact that, you know, that's not only have they uh, won their last three, like you said, they they won a game in Norman, something they've done literally one other time ever to this point. Um, they pretty well smacked around a Texas Tech team that has given a lot of teams problems this year already. Um, and then, uh, you know, they... Uh, they they kind of had to hang on against KU a few weeks ago, but you know, it's still that's at that win looks more and more quality pretty much by the week. You know, hats off to the Jayhawks getting themselves bowl eligible this week. So uh yeah, no, this is the, I mean, definitely not a team you can take lightly. You know, I don't know that they necessarily have a lot of like quote unquote home run hitters, you know, when you look at it individually, but it's definitely still a team that uh, scores a lot of points. It's a team that possesses the ball um as well as anyone in the conference. So, you know, it's, I mean, it's going to be a pretty tall task and, you know, yet another night game for K-State. It's kind of crazy how many of those we seem to have played in this year and uh, really, really tough one on the road. I mean, I think it kind of further drives home how important last week would have been to get that one. Like you said, that almost quote unquote affords you a loss moving forward. But yeah, I mean, pretty, pretty, it's a pretty tough spot uh, for what is now absolutely a must win game. And looking at some of the numbers here for Baylor, just some of the basics, uh, second highest scoring offense in the Big 12, 38.3 points per game, 451 yards per contest, 6.1 yards per play. Uh, really, though, what Baylor is known for is their their ground attack. And this is very it's a departure from where they were last year when they just had a, a monster backfield with Gary Bohannon at quarterback and then Tristan Ebner and um Zach uh, or Ab Zach Abram, uh, Abram Smith. Zach Abram was uh, running back for Missouri in the early 2000s. I don't know why he came to mind, but they had just these maulers last year, guys that were 6'2", 230, that could just grade you down. And that's really how they just rode those running backs to the Big 12 championship. This year, a, a little bit more versatile in, in terms of how they attack folks. And, and They've got guys that, dare I say, with this wide zone offense that they run are, are maybe more suited to, to what the offensive coordinator, uh, Jeff Grimes, wants to do. Uh, you look at Richard Reese, and, and he is a, a very elite running back, and some of the numbers he's put up this year, Nutter, are really jumping off the page. Yeah, um, he is fifth in the conference at, with just shy of 800 yards, sitting at 798 and actually leads the conference, and I believe is first nationally among all freshmen with 13 total touchdowns. Correct. Um, you know, he's really, really kind of burst on the scene. But what probably makes him even scarier is the fact that that running back room has really kind of been a three-headed monster for them this year. Um, you know, behind him, they've got a couple of guys who are every bit as capable as, you know, as, as beating you. Um, you got uh, Quaylen Jones, who is sitting at 362 yards and six touchdowns. You know, kind of like we said about Roshan Johnson last week, that's a pretty damn solid line for a backup running back. 
but they've got a third option in Craig Williams, 401 yards and four touchdowns as well. So, I mean, you can't really take plays off against this rushing attack. You know, last year, or like you know, we mentioned with uh, – with, uh, shit, no, I'm going to blank on their names – with uh, Smith and Ebner, you know, it's a, 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 kind of a two-headed monster, and this year it's almost evolved into an even more versatile attack. So, yeah, I mean, Reese has definitely kind of taken that team by storm this year, but – I mean, a couple of more than capable guys behind him as well. And, and to give you the, the dimensions of these guys, uh, Reese, the freshman, is 5'9", 175. Uh, you mentioned it, freshman leader in the nation with 13 touchdowns, second in the nation for freshmen in rushing yards. And then Craig, uh, affectionately known as Squirrel Williams, 5'8", 173. He's a sophomore. You mentioned him having 401 yards. He got damn near half of that last week. He ran for a buck 92 in almost eight yards a carry against Oklahoma. The aforementioned Reese was not out in that game, but he was battling the flu throughout the course of the week, wasn't quite himself. So I would certainly expect uh, him to be available in full capacity this week, having had another week to get himself right. So those running backs are, are going to present a, a much different challenge that, than what Roshan Johnson and, and what uh, Bijan Robinson did. Those guys, again, much more the the stereotypical bell cow mold, if you will, at, at the six foot, 220-ish pound frame. These guys, much more elusive, speedy, elusive, can hit the edge, as I said. Going to be a different type of attack K-State's going to be taking on this week as far as the ground game goes. Looking to the quarterback position, and I know we normally start things off at, at, at that spot, but Blake Shapin uh, as a sophomore, I'm not going to say he's had a sophomore slump by any means, but I, I think there were really big expectations heaped on him after last season when he for all intents and purposes that, and it was really the K state game where he came in and when K state went into that game at seven and three, Baylor was eight and two. The wildcats were thinking, Oh man, we got this home game against Baylor and this game after that against Texas have a chance to win nine games in the regular season, get to 10 and, and Baylor came in and, and shut the door pretty quickly after Blake Shapin came in and directed a couple of scoring drives. And, and that was a, a really tough day for K state's offense. Baylor's defense did sit on the wildcats in that one, but Blake Shapin was really the catalyst in helping elevate Baylor in a win over the Wildcats last season. 20 to 10 was the final in that game. This year, he's hitting on almost 67% of his throws, 13 touchdowns to just six interception, uh, and he's thrown for 1,951 yards. Now, he doesn't really have the the weaponry, per se, with, with Tyquan Thornton. He's not back there this year, but there there's a pretty nice – assemblage of wide receivers gavin holmes is the guy who's really going to take the top off of your defense 511 200 pounds sixth year senior leads the team in yards with 470 and averages 21.4 per reception he also returns punts has 133 punt return yards to his name as well and another weapon i want to talk about uh ben sims now this is a first also i, I looked at baylor's depth charts and their game notes and they had six tight ends listed on the depth chart. That is, that's a first. I don't even think Snyder had had more than maybe three at any one given time. So is this like eight man where linemen are just eligible to catch passes or what? <laughs> Sims is 6'5", 258. He's a senior. Uh, he has the school uh, record in reception uh, touchdowns for a tight end with 11. And this year he currently leads Baylor in receptions with 27, not a big vertical threat, as you might imagine for a guy who's six, five and almost two sixty, only averaging 8.3 per catch, but still a very reliable target. And one in which K-State's not really faced too many, what I would classify as Uber dynamic tight ends this year. And, and, and if you think back to, to the TCU game, the name of the guy, he was a Texas transfer. He's, it's totally escaping me right now, but I know he gashed K-State uh, for five or six catches for around 80 yards in that uh, game against the Horned Frog. So covering up the tight end has been, uh, been a bit of an issue, and this one's probably going to be the best one K-State sees all season uh, as far as the defense goes. Now, uh, to dive a little bit deeper into some of the advanced numbers for Baylor uh 2.97 points per drive. That's 18th nationally. K-State's defense on the flip side still, even after last week, very respectable. They're 27th nationally, only allowing 1.8 points per drive. Baylor rushing percentage. So 
they're they're pretty imbalanced, and this is very rare in college football. Almost 56% of their plays are run, so that's 27th nationally. On the flip side, K-State's opponents only run the ball about 48% of the time against the Wildcats. That's 82nd nationally, so they're going to very much get ta- uh, tasked in a different way this week with this Baylor rushing attack. And uh, not surprisingly, Baylor's success rate, 22nd nationally at 48.1%. They stay ahead of the sticks. So again, not a huge surprise. They're almost 50%, 49.7 as far as rushing success rate. That's 21st nationally. Better mark than the University of Texas. That makes me a little bit nervous this week. Uh, K-State's rush defense as far as success rate goes, 41.1%. That's top third, let's say, at 44th nationally. And then passing success, Baylor still... Puts themselves in a lot of good spots for shaping. So they're 47.3% as far as pass success rate goes. Uh, that's 25th nationally. K-State 44th nationally in passing success rate allowed at 38.9%. So those are the advanced numbers on this Baylor offense. And, and a couple other baseline stats I did want to throw out here before we move into the keys for the Cats. Uh, this is a very aggressive team as far as the offense goes they have 42 red zone attempts this year they really do force the issue and try to sustain and keep drives moving they have 34th down attempts this season and they've converted 21 of those that's second nationally only behind texas tech which just will go for it anywhere on the field so baylor is a very efficient team when it comes to fourth down and they also convert on third down as i said second in the big 12 in that metric uh, in that mark there at 46 percent so this is really going to be a tale of uh, of which line it's really going to be line of scrimmage this week netter I, I i hate to be reductive and simplistic but i really just think this comes down to whether or not k-state is is going to be up to the task of slowing down this baylor run game no, I mean, that's pretty much what it boils down to for all the reasons you just mentioned, you know, they uh, very aggressive, not afraid to go for it, you know, pretty run heavy attack. They lead the conference in time of possession at uh, a little bit better than 33 minutes a game. That's uh, 11th in the country as well. So yeah, K-State's really going to have to control that line and try to do whatever they can to get off the field. Cause I mean, obviously we saw what happened last week when you allow a running attack to kind of dictate the, you know, dictate the flow of the game, especially in the first half felt like K-State never had the ball. Um, so, you know, that's definitely something that K-State's going to have to be mindful of. You hope that what happened to them last week is, you know, fresh enough in their memory that maybe they come out a little bit more motivated. Um, but yeah, that's, I mean, definitely going to be the name of the game is keeping that Baylor offense on the sideline. And that takes us to the keys for the Cats on this side. And first and foremost, uh, eye discipline and rallying to the ball. And uh, Coach Kleiman talked about it in his midweek presser. Knowing and understanding your keys, that's going to be really paramount for this K-State defense this week. Like I said, the wide zone concepts that Baylor runs is going to put a lot more stress on the second level of this K-State defense uh, so it'll definitely be a different, like I said, different style of attack than what Texas ran against you. Uh, Baylor's got a very experienced offensive line as well. I, I looked at the numbers. They came, I think they had 171 games played by this offensive line coming into the season. And you look at career starts, Connor, Connor Galvin, who's going to be an NFL draft pick as 46, Grant Miller, 37, Jacob Gall, 36. They've, they've got tons of experience along this offensive line and a couple of them were six-year transfers you know yeah. Gall, yeah Gall out of Buffalo and then Miller out of Vandy both of them started every game for Baylor last year so yeah very very veteran up front I mean that's definitely a pretty big key for success with a rushing attack like they have and then the other thing I'll mention in Baylor's losses um the there's a pretty common thread that you can tug on there they've all held them well below their rushing average all well under 200 yards and fewer than five yards per carry. That's a that's a tall order, but that's really what this K-State defense is going to be tasked with. And you have to hope that Klanderman and company have this group ready to rally and 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 come back from what was a very lackluster performance. Uh, another key in my mind, winning the moments. Uh, as I said, Baylor it has the has the second most fourth down conversions in the nation with 21. And they also are tied with KU for the most red zone scores in the Big 12 with 32. You've got to bow up in those big spots. And there's going to be times where K-State's going to win on third down. And it might be fourth down and goal to go from the six. And Baylor's probably going to pull the trigger. And you've got to win that moment because 
this is a game where I, I think also just by virtue of what both teams like to do, it, it's going to be pretty low in possessions would be, would be my guess. Both teams wanting to lean on their run game, uh, knowing also Baylor, while some of their defensive numbers, which we'll get into here momentarily, are, are, are look somewhat decent. You have to also take into account that Baylor has not faced yet Kansas State, one of the best rushing teams in the country. They've not faced Texas and they've not faced TCU. So those are three of the best rushing teams in the Big 12, not named Baylor. So those, yeah, I also want to I also want to point out, you know, talking about Baylor's, you know, aggressive being aggressive on fourth down and winning a lot of the time. Um you're talking best on best in that situation. K-State's been tested 21 times and has only cracked on seven of them. That's uh, but good. That's best in the conference by a pretty considerable margin. K-State's given it up a third of the time. The next two, Baylor and Texas Tech, are tied at 40% of the time. So, you know, they've proven to be up to that challenge before in pretty key spots. So, yeah, they're definitely going to have to be ready to go again. Winning on third and fourth down, going to be huge. And then the, the last thing that I'll mention, and this is – been weighing on everybody's mind and i know this is a very simple key but you've got to find a way to create extra opportunities in this game because a a turnover in a game like this uh, one or two one way or the other is going to swing this so drastically and and dave aranda while he has very much changed his his overarching philosophy as a coach from from where he was in the pandemic year to where he is now. This is still a guy who's a who's a defensive minded coach, and I think he wants to rely on, on that side of the ball. And to that point, if you're able to take control of this game by by forcing a turnover here and there, and if you're a plus one or a plus two in this game, and, and cashing that in for points would go a long way in giving the Wildcats a, a, a leg up and, and winning this one. And, and again, I know that's such it's such an easy key to point out, but K-State still, at this point, all the turnovers that have been forced in conference play have, have come on on Bill Snyder Family Stadium's turf. They, they have not yet forced one away from home, but they are still plus nine in the turnover margin department this season. So if you can get Baylor in a spot where they have to throw into the teeth of this secondary, which will be at full strength to throw into the second level with Daniel Green now getting another week to get himself right. Again, there there are going to be some opportunities here, and but it all really goes back to that first key of winning on first down, rallying to the ball, eye discipline, everything in between. So that's what I'm looking for as far as the Kansas State defense goes, trying to limit this Baylor rushing attack. To pivot now and look at this from the Wildcat offense, uh, Colin Klein, I think, Nutter, we've really seen this offense transform here in recent weeks, and, and I don't want to to discredit anything that Martinez or, or, or Will Howard have done, but I, I think this K-State team's just hitting another gear, becoming more versatile, and, and I've really liked what I've seen out of the Wildcats here in the passing game here as of late. Yeah, uh, you know, a couple of drives last week ended in field goals when, you know, K-State looked like it had a pretty pretty solid shot to punch it in, and that also kind of ended up, ended up contributing to the loss. But, yes, in general, I mean, you basically go back to anything since having to grind out 10 whole points and aims. You know, it really – I mean, K-State really has kind of turned a corner offensively. Um, and, you know, it was nice to see that that didn't necessarily slow down with a quarterback change when Martinez came back, I mean, for all intents and purposes, it sounds like he's probably going to be the guy unless he just physically can't go. So, um, yeah, I mean, it's been nice to see Klein be able to put his money where his mouth is, you know, K-State's been able to, to continue to put up some points and, um, it's, you know, what you're, you're like, we talked about, you're facing yet another potent offense this week. So you're going to have to be ready to continue to put those points up. So, yeah, I mean, it's been good to see, you know, that offense kind of transform, especially with how rough it looked at times early in the season. So, yeah, hopefully you can keep that trend rolling this week. Cats have eclipsed 200 yards passing in five of their six conference tilts. And again, we mentioned at the outset, Adrian Martinez throwing for 329, obviously a career high here as a Wildcat this past Saturday. And honestly, just had a, got a bad break with a missed PI call that should have happened when Phil Brooks got raked across the face mask in the end zone, missed that one. 
case and also the the play that was an interception just stared down Malik Knowles had Cade Warner wide open in the flat uh, Texas defensive back was or Texas linebacker dropped back into coverage because K-State had burned them with that play earlier in the game so that that could have while it was 329 yards or certainly nothing to scoff at that could have been a, a game in which Martinez threw for 375 or in a couple and maybe another touchdown, but sadly uh, did not end up materializing that way. And Nutter though, looking at some of the baseline stats here uh, for this K-State offense, uh, we see it at 30.6 points per game. That's ninth in the big 12. But again, I, I, K-State's manufactured points and yards against everybody. And and frankly, this is one of the better offenses, at least in my mind under the Chris Kleiman tenure. Uh, I, I think they're, getting teams more and more unbalanced by the, by the week. And Adrian Martinez, even for a guy who was knocking the rust off last week, I, I thought he still, like I said, looked pretty sharp aside from one moment where he just stared down a receiver in the wrong spot that he, he still got the ball out. He still hit better than 66% of his throws. He was sharp last week. So K-State's, I, I don't have any major worries about this offense being able to manufacture yards and points. K-State currently putting up 419 yards per game, 6.32 yards per play. That is the fourth best mark in the Big 12. Baylor on the flip side allowing just 5.17 yards per play. That is third in the Big 12, but as we mentioned, Baylor has yet to face some of the more potent attacks here. And Oklahoma pretty well tuned them up last week for 500 yards and Dylan Gabriel and company really had their way with, with Baylor's defense. And honestly, it was just Baylor forcing three interceptions, which was really the deciding factor in that game. So ball security, not surprisingly going to be a focus this week and and K-State's rushing game. This is a side of the ball. That's really kind of dipped here in in recent weeks at Nutter. I I don't know. Can you point to any common thread? It just seems like the Wildcats, yeah, you hit the explosive against Oklahoma State with the big Deuce Vaughn run, and you have one against TCU, but it's really just seemed kind of, I don't know if clunky is the right word, but it just the, the reliability in the running game really hasn't been there here. What 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 has been your feeling surrounding K-State's running production here as of late? Yeah, I'm not, you know, it's, it's kind of hard to know what to make of it. You know, you're kind of taking what defenses are giving you. We knew Texas was better against the run than they were against the pass. Like we knew that's how it was going to be. And if that's what it's going to take to win, so be it. Obviously, you've got a pretty versatile running back who probably had his best game out of the backfield that he's had all season. You know, Deuce Holland in seven catches for 86 yards. So the benefit there is if you're not getting it going in the traditional running game, you know, they're at least able to utilize those weapons elsewhere. We've talked about it before. DJ Giddens has been a perfectly serviceable backup back there. Um, you know, you're, you hope that, you know, maybe K-State can get a little bit more going against the Baylor you know, against the Baylor rushing attack, or excuse me, against the Baylor uh, rush defense. That said, they're pretty solid at third in the conference, uh, giving up about 127 yards per game on the ground. So, you know, I think some of it's probably product of the opponent. But, you know, we've seen K-State be able to come in and not get their running game going and still be able to scratch out a win. You know, I think about, again, that that 10-9 to kind of uh, slugfest in, in Ames earlier this season. So, yeah, I mean, it's concerning that, you know, Deuce has typically kind of been a numbers machine and hasn't necessarily been able to get it going, but I'm not terribly concerned in the fact that not only is the passing game getting going, um, you know, Martinez or Howard, whoever's been back there has been able to spread it around a little bit. Like I said, Deuce had one of his better games out of the backfield. Malik Knowles had maybe his best catch of his career. I think on that, you know, when he made the catch in the middle of the field, ended up making about three or four guys miss for about, you know, maybe 30 more yards after the catch. Cade Warner has kind of exploded in the last three or four weeks, you know, suddenly that guy's a touchdown machine. So, um, yeah, you know, maybe it's a little bit concerning that, you know, they've kind of gotten away from what was their bread and butter earlier this season, but that might just have to do with the evolution of the offense as well. You know, as, as Klein has gotten more comfortable, you know, calling those pass plays and as our quarterbacks have gotten more comfortable executing them, if the, if you're getting away from that, so be it, it's not like you can't use Deuce in other ways. And quarterbacks, I, I looked, um, Dylan Gabriel ran for almost eight yards a carry, had a 70 on the ground against the Baylor defense. Spencer Sanders ran for 75, averaged over five a carry. So quarterbacks have been able to get outside and and, and guys that are, are fleet of foot like Adrian Martinez. It'll be interesting to see if that's part of the game plan this week for Colin Klein. This is a Baylor defense that that runs 
very well laterally, has very solid linebackers, and just has monsters at defensive end. So that, that'll be a very tall order for this K-State offensive line in terms of how they handle and move guys around at the line of scrimmage. Looking at some of the advanced numbers in this game for Kansas State, points per drive, the Wildcats sit at 2.45, 50th nationally, Baylor 65th nationally in points per drive allowed at 2.22. K-State's rush uh, rushing rate is at 57.5%. So again, K-State and Baylor both obviously very high in that metric. So it'll be very interesting to see which which side blinks, so to speak, in that game. Uh, but on the flip side, looking at Baylor, the opponents only run the ball about 45% of the time against the Bears, and that's 103rd nationally. For reference, Texas is 106th. So Baylor really hasn't seen a whole lot of teams that have tried to ground and pound it on them, and they really did a great job in just sitting on uh, KU, which has run all over pretty much everybody this year in the Big 12. So That'll be an interesting angle of this game to keep an eye on. And then we talk about success rate. The Wildcats pretty well middle of the pack and overall success rate, 42.5%. That's 71st. Rushing success rate, 43%, 77th. Passing success rate, 418 That's 74th. So, uh, and Baylor on the flip side, pretty well middle of the pack as well. And overall rushing and overall success rate, they're 62nd. Rush success rate, 45th. And then pass success rate, 68th. So, I think we've got two defenses that are, are respectable, but maybe not dominant. And again, I, I don't think this Baylor team is nearly as formidable as it was on that side of the ball uh, as it was last season, where, when it was really just one of the more dominant units in, in the entire conference. And Nutter, uh, there's plenty of guys to keep an eye on here, but really, in my mind, it all starts up front with this Baylor defensive line and Siaka Ika. Yeah. So, you know, I don't know that you necessarily have like one home run hitter on this Baylor, you know, on this Baylor defense, but you have a lot of uh, solid parts that collectively have put together a pretty, a pretty strong unit overall. You know, you got guys like Siaki Ika, like you said, you've got Dylan Doyle who leads the team in tackles with 55. It's not super high up, you know, in, in terms of the conference ranking, but then, uh, you know, a couple other guys worth noticing are, uh, you know, Gabe Hall, big defensive lineman, three and a half sacks. Uh, Garmin Randolph, another linebacker with four sacks. That's good for sixth in the conference. So, you know, you kind of got players everywhere, but not necessarily one guy you can really key in on. And I think in general, that probably makes you a little bit more dangerous overall. So, you know, I know K-State didn't necessarily have the best day from the offensive line, uh, especially in some pretty key situations last week. So they're they're really going to have to be on their A game this week. Siaka Ika is a monster at 6'4 and 358 pounds. is certainly the prototypical nose tackle, if you will. Uh, Dylan Doyle, another one, fifth-year senior to keep an eye on. Uh, and Garmin Randolph is a guy who's very interesting to me. He plays the jack position, uh, number 55. He's 6'7", two, almost 250 pounds really just a, a freak athlete and, and a guy he certainly pops when you see him on 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 film uh just looking at a guy with his size and length you don't typically see that at uh the defensive end position so he's definitely a guy to, to keep an eye on he's the team leader in sacks with four and also has four quarterback hurries to his name as well that's team lead there also and, and then also another guy when you look back at last year's defense Jalen Petrie an NFL draft selection uh, who played that star position. He's been replaced by Al Walcott, and he's pretty much picked up right where where Petrie left off. Uh, Walcott is a 6'2", 220-pound senior, tied on the team, uh, tied for the team lead in tackles again with 55, and he's the team leader in tackles for loss with seven and leads the team with four passes broken up. So they still get a, a tremendous, tremendous amount of production from that star position and, and this unit that's coached by Dave Aranda is, is still very buttoned up in the grand scheme of things at least as it stands right now they allow 355 yards per game that's second in the big 12 yards per play at 5.2 if that's third in the big 12 and like we said rushing is right now looking fairly formidable but I, I certainly expect that number to to take a hit. I'm hoping the Wildcats have a pretty big hand in that here over the next couple of weeks as Baylor gets set to play K-State, Texas, and TCU to close out their season. So players to watch have been covered. We've looked at the advanced numbers here. So what are the keys for the Cats here? Well, as far as I, I look at this, you're going to need a dynamic performance from Adrian Martinez, he, he needs to build off of that effort that we saw 
against Texas last week. And, and I talked about it too, that, that Baylor ha, has let some more uh, athletic quarterbacks get outside and, and make plays in the running game. And, and again, I, I don't know if that's something just based off of what we saw from Adrian last week, if that's going to be a huge component to this game plan. We certainly know based off of what Adrian did against Texas Tech earlier in the season, what he did in Norman against the Oklahoma defense as well. We know he can obviously tuck it and run, and he's very good with the ball in his hands on design quarterback counters and powers and whatnot. But I, I'm very interested to see how Colin Klein elects to play him, also knowing that in the in the background you have Will Howard, who is available. And I, I, I didn't really feel like running the QB was a big focus last week, uh, only 14 carries for Martinez in that game against Texas. But I'm very interested to see in how Colin elects to play. But you're going to need a dynamic performance out of him. Uh, Nutter, you also talked about Malik Knowles a few moments ago having that great catch and run uh, working across, covering pretty much half of the field on that play. Uh, he, Malik has really hit another gear and has turned into the player we all wanted him to be. He's got... 390 yards receiving over the last four games for this K-State offense. And I, I think that's all what we wanted and hoped we would get out of him. We all know as well that he's been robbed of a couple of touchdowns just by virtue of his knee being down at the at the foot line and then getting pushed into the end zone, but officials not being able to confirm whether or not the ball broke the plane. I mean, he should have a couple more touchdowns to his name, but Malik has really been sensational. Now, I, I say that, Notice uh, noting here as well, the caveat and all this Malik was out on that final drive of the game for the K-State offense, as was Cade Warner. All indications are based off of what Kleiman said during the presser this week. Uh, neither guy had practiced on Monday or on Tuesday that we're hoping to get him back on Wednesday. And he does expect both to be available, but Nutter to, to the point about how you use Adrian Martinez I think that's a pretty big question mark this week. And, and and how comfortable do you feel saying that we'll get one or both of Malik and, and or Kate back for the Saturday? Yeah. You know, I only read the Kleiman's remarks. I didn't actually hear him. So, you know, a lot of times inflection or even tone can kind of give you a little bit more of a hint as to how real a concern may be or may not be, but everything I've seen really doesn't lead me to believe there's going to be a ton of concern. It sounds like both of those guys are going to be back which is good because their their absence was very noticeable on that last drive. Like I said, K-State was moving the ball, but not exactly cleanly. A lot of things looked very much ad-libbed and improvised. So, um, yeah, no, I don't have a ton of concern that, you know, one or both of those guys are going to be back. I will also say it was nice to see RJ Garcia making some plays in the passing game and, and also the, the, the old reliable Ben Sennett and Phillip Brooks were also in there having, uh, making their contributions as well. But uh, this offense is certainly much more of a threat when it has Malik and Cade and those two are putting up really more than respectable numbers. And, and honestly, this wide receiver core, the most chastised group and and really the entire offensive as far as all the offensive position groups go they, they've really stepped up here in recent weeks we talked about to the offense throwing for better than 200 yards at five out of their six conference games and they're a big reason why and, and you certainly going to need and hope that both are able to go and and even if Malik's on a pitch count or or, or and or Cade there you're going to need those guys to be available because if this offense is having to rely on RJ Garcia and Phillip Brooks as, as really kind of your primary targets, that's that's going to spell trouble for Kansas State. So, again, we need Adrian to be dynamic. We need him to spread it around, as we said, use his legs when appropriate. Uh, the next item that I look to for the Cats, as far as the offensive keys go, sustain and finish drives. Uh, K-State has only scored five touchdowns in its last 12 red zone visits, and that's spanning Iowa State, TCU, Oklahoma State, and Texas you got to cash in against Baylor because we talked about how aggressive they are when they have the ball, they're looking to finish drives off and get into the end zone. They're not kicking many field goals. In fact, Baylor's only attempted seven this whole season. That's easily the lowest mark of any big 12 conference team. So this is again, this is going to be a game where you need to get into the end zone. So you you don't want to be settling for a whole lot of threes once you get inside the 20. And then on the flip side of that as well, what what you do by possessing the ball and keeping Baylor off the field is going to be another 
item to watch as well. Baylor leads the Big 12, as you said, better time of possession, over 33 minutes per game. K-State with 31 minutes, so they're no slouch in terms of possessing the ball. But um, that's been a pretty clear indicator. Almost all of Aranda's 12 losses, they've lost the time of possession battle. Uh, and that also that does, in fact, include the game against West Virginia, a team that's not known for running, and as well as Oklahoma State, a team that has no running game this year. So if K-State is able to possess, sustain, and finish, good sign uh, for your Kansas State Wildcats. And then, as I said, to you, you got to have the clean sheet this week. Uh, Dave Aranda, again, a defensive-minded guy. His team's have forced 61 takeaways in his now uh, two-plus seasons as the head man in Waco. They're plus 24 in turnover margin. You can't afford to give a, give this Baylor offense extra opportunities. And as we said, one turnover here here or there uh, could be very could be game defining in this type of a contest where we expect the number of possessions to be low, probably in the neighborhood of of nine. I, I would guess for either side, I, I would be shocked if we're talking about a 10, 12 type possession battle. But you, you have to take advantage of the opportunities that you have on offense, and, and you certainly can't be given Baylor extra chances uh, with the ball. So those are my keys there, looking at the K-State offense, and just uh, here to hit on specials for, for just a quick moment. Uh, Ty Zentner has been four for four. He's made all of his field goal tries, but haven't really tested the range yet. Uh, Zentner's been fine as far as punting goes. He remains one of the tops in the Big 12 in terms of net yards and average yards per punt and the number of punts down inside the 20. Uh, looking at it from the Baylor side of the equation, John Mayers is six of six on the season, uh, and he has a long of 49, so he's got good distance. And then Isaac Powers averages 42.4 yards on his 25 punts. Baylor, I will say one little thing I did notice, they allow almost 25 yards per kick return, and they have given up uh, one house call this year. We haven't really seen K-State get loose on special teams here as of late, so if the Wildcats can potentially steal one here in the kick return or punt return game. That would be big. Last uh, week was really bad on that front too. So yeah, Malik Malik yeah. had a, a very forgettable game on that front, taking a number of kicks out and, and not even getting the ball to the 20. That was, that was tough. And I know you, you have to play with confidence when you're back there and you have, cause you think you could break one at any time. That's kind of the MO, but sadly it just, didn't really amount to much of anything. And, and frankly, it cost K-State yards more often more often than not when he did elect to return it. So uh, it'll be interesting to see how they play it too, uh, knowing his potentially, I won't say injury status, but knowing how he's doing physically, if they're just going to tell him, hey man, let's just fair catch all these. Well, it'll be interesting to see how they like to handle the special teams here this coming Saturday. So, Hey Jeff, before we get too better. far removed from the kicking talk, I do want to ask, um, you know, the fact that Zentner has been quietly very reliable so far, but has not really been tested. Like you said, the longest, I believe, I mean, it, almost everything's been inside of 30. The fact that he's pretty well split the uprights, you know, every time he's been out there, whether it be a PAT or whether it be a field goal, do you maybe test his range a little more if this, if the situation arises this week, you know, like, if a drive stalls, you know, the 2025 where you're looking at something like a, you know, 30, 35, 40 yard field goal, are you comfortable trotting him out there? I think game flow is very much going to dictate that. Um, if, if the Wildcats are in a position where they're behind, you know, it's if it's 10 to nothing or 14 to three or something along those lines and just knowing how efficient Baylor is at running the ball. I think Kleiman says we're going to pull the trigger because we need points, but in the same breath, if, if, you stall out and you, and Zentner, we all know has just a cannon um, and the way that he struck the ball. And, and I don't know, just being in the stadium last week, it, it, it didn't really ever feel like you were holding your breath when he went out there to kick. And, and he hit, like I said, he hits the ball with confidence. He hits it. Well, I, I, I don't have any issue trotting him out there to try something anywhere. Uh, honestly, even into the fifties, just knowing that he's got the leg strength to get it, to the uprights. Now the accuracy element of it, I don't know, but, um, but yeah, I, I, I feel comfortable with, with where he is right now. And I, I don't really go into games now fretting and worrying about the kicking game being a liability. Sure. So those are, those are the keys here. As far as this game goes for Kansas state, this is another huge one. And another, I think before we, we dive too deep, uh, or before we get set to wrap this one up, rather, with our predictions, 
I, just where where do you feel this team is right now, knowing that you don't control your destiny and, and the, that a Big 12 championship, not off the table, but knowing that you're going to need help to get there. I mean, is that the probably the biggest ask of climbing in the staff this week is to make sure the guys channel it and just focus on what they can control? Yeah, I mean, you're veteran enough and you've got enough veteran leadership that you really shouldn't need to give them any extra motivation. But uh, yeah, you know, the fact that you're not in the driver's seat or, you know, that I know the popular phrase is control your own destiny. The fact that you need some help, but still have to win out to even make that help, you know, worth a damn. Yeah, I mean, obviously you hope that they don't need to be extra motivated to get in here and get this done. But yeah, you're, I mean, you've got enough senior leadership and enough guys that have played a lot of football. So, I mean, I don't think that's going to be much of a concern other than, like I said, at the beginning of the episode, you know, your, your, your margin for error is pretty much gone at this point. So any chance of this, you know, turning from a good season into a great season, you're going to need help to get it there at this point. But yeah, I mean, if you need, if you need help getting up for that, you know, you probably don't need to be playing college football. (laughs) Very true. Very true. And, um, yeah, it, it'll be interesting to see how this team comes out. Again, I, I still feel like, to your point, it's it's a resilient bunch. It, it, it's a veteran team. Good leadership in the locker room with with Adrian, with Deuce, Daniel Green, Brents, all, all, all the guys, King Felix, everybody in between. I, I have no no doubt that the guys will, will be up to the task and will be there to rally and, and Again, the, the the carrot is still out there for this to potentially be even even if you're just got the blinders on and you're just saying, let's just take this, not to use the coach speak phrase, but just take this one game at a time, win out the rest of the year. And, and, and frankly, I, I would imagine that K-State, if they do win this week, would likely likely be favored at West Virginia unless something goes weird sideways when West Virginia t- takes on Oklahoma this week. And I would imagine K-State would be a favorite at home. So the Wildcats still very much a chance to make this a, a very meaningful season uh, to get to the nine win mark in the regular season and to potentially look get to 10, even if you don't make the Big 12 championship game. That's You're still doing something special and, and you would still have a chance to play in a, in a very nice bowl game, depending on how things shake out. You could maybe be in the conversation for a New Year's Six. Um, more likely, you're probably looking at the, the Alamo Bowl but it'll be interesting to see how it unfolds. And, and, and like I said, I, I, if you're a gloom and doomer and, and, and trust me, I, I'm far from the poster child on Sunday. I was just despondent. I was so furious that this one got away <laughs> from us, but as the week went on and as I started looking at this game, I, I feel like there's a chance for Kansas state and I hope they take advantage of the opportunity here. So with that being said, Let's go ahead and move into our predictions for this one. We'll start off with the picks to pop. We make a selection as far as offensive and defensive player that really needs to show out for this game if the Wildcats have a chance to win. So, Nutter, go ahead and lead us off. Who's your offensive player to pop? Yeah, you know, now that it sounds like Adrian's the guy, um, I'm hoping that he doesn't let the fact that the game ended on probably his most forgettable stake of forgettable mistake of the evening. You know, I'm hoping that 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 he doesn't dwell on that too much. I kind of, I hate to say that I thought this, but I definitely said it on the way home that God, Nebraska fans are going to be letting K-State fans hear this about the (laughs) fact that, you know, it was essentially decided on a couple of Martinez turnovers. And that's, I don't want to overshadow the fact that he played for the most part, like you said, a really solid game. You know, he threw for 329 yards and scored twice once on the ground, once through the air. So, you know, you know, you know, I don't want him to, uh, I don't want him to regress or otherwise go back into a shell. Cause you know, that's, I guess maybe my concern is that, you know, he gets a little too, too timid and doesn't want to, you know, let it rip anymore uh, because that's kind of what's been, what's led to the evolution of this offense is like, we've been taking more shots downfield and it's kind of opened things up in the running game. albeit you know, we didn't see a ton of it last week, but you know, I just, if, if we're going to keep it going, he's got to continue to play with confidence. And that's definitely going to be our best shot this week. Um, and then on defense, Eli Huggins is definitely coming off one of his better games of the year, right? You know, he definitely had some plays. Obviously, the first half, I don't know that you can really say anyone played a, played a great game on defense. But, you know, he really kind of switched it on in the second half and, you know, plugged things up in the middle of that line and, uh, you know, had a big forced or a big uh, recovered fumble. Um, so, you know, I think – 
again, the fact that we're going to be uh, facing a, a pretty potent rushing attack and they're going to be able to bring guys in with fresh legs pretty much all day. You know, you got to be able to get in there and disrupt that and get your get your linebackers free to get into the backfield. So, yeah, I'm going to go with I'm going to go with Huggins on defense. I like both of those picks there. As far as the offense goes for Kansas State, really, again, in my mind, not knowing anything about football, <laughs> I think this is a game that really just comes down to the whether or not K-State's offensive line can move around a, a, a large and imposing Baylor defensive front. They average over 300 pounds across their, their defensive line. They've got very athletic and uh, freaky linebackers, guys at the second level. Can K-State move those guys around? Can Deuce Vaughn and others get to the second level and carve up this defense? That's the biggest ask in my book. So I'm going to look really as far as offense goes. I'm not going to peg it on anyone's shoulders this week. You just need a, a, a much better effort from the line, not just in terms of opening up holes for for running backs and, and so forth, but also in terms of keeping Adrian clean. Uh, again, Baylor's another defensive line that can get after and can pressure you the same way that Texas does. They're a little bit different in how they go about it, but make no mistake about it. They've got some dudes up front that can make life miserable for K-State. So it's a big week for K-State's offensive line. Uh, as far as the defense goes for the Wildcats, uh, Austin Moore w was particularly quiet last Saturday, um, which is not something that we've really said much this season uh, about him. He is he is known as the machine for a reason. W we need him to be active. And, and frankly, this is a game where Baylor, again, is an offense that moves sideline to sideline with these running backs. You're going to need to cover a lot of ground in a hurry. You're going to need to seal up holes. And like we said, so so critical this week to, to win on those early downs plays where Baylor is getting outside and normally picking up seven, eight, nine yards. You, you got to make those three and four yards and you got to put them in a spot where they're actually having to worry about converting on third down. And if you, if you let Baylor dictate on that front, you, you're going to be in for a long evening in Waco. So I looked to Austin Moore and, and, and again, I, I was very pleased with what I saw out of Daniel Green coming back from, from his injury, Khalid Duke as well. Uh, I know these guys in, in particular, they probably feel took that game personally as much as the defensive line as well uh, did as well. Uh, that, that game against Texas, let's hope it's an aberration for Kansas State. We, we know that this unit is, is still very solid. I know a lot of people are trying to, to discredit what they've done to date, but at the end of the day, I still feel like this is still a, a very respectable Big 12 defense, and I think that they can rally. The question is, will they rally? Will they limit this Baylor rushing attack? That's going to be the big question and what defines this game. So that being said, we're going to go ahead and wind this one down with our final prediction here, looking at the score. So Nutter, go ahead and take us home. Yeah, uh, as of right this moment, uh, Baylor is a two and a half point favorite. I think that feels about right to me. Um, the fact that K-State struggled as much as it did against the run last week really has me worried because they're going to see an equally dangerous attack this week. Uh the fact that K-State has struggled to, you know, force turnovers on the road, you know, I think you're going to need a couple of those to win a game like this against a team that, like we've talked about several times, possesses the ball for, you know, big chunks at a time. Um, I think K-State's going to do enough to keep it close, but I Baylor's a little bit too hot right now, so I'm going to go 28-24 uh, Baylor. Sadly, I am going to go with the Bears as well this week. Uh, I just, again was very discouraged by what I saw from this rushing defense last week. Again, my, my hope in all this is that it was nothing more than a very impressive and up and coming offensive line, having a good day and also a, a future NFL draft pick and potentially a first round draft pick and B. John Robinson, just having a field day. And, and you're not going to see running backs like that this coming Saturday. These are going to be very different styles in terms of how they're, how they're built and the way that Baylor runs the ball. Uh, but again, I, I'm, I'm almost even more worried just with how, Baylor executes on offense, how efficient they are in the run game. So I do, I do believe K-State will, will punch back this week. And I do believe that the Wildcats will keep it close uh, two and a half points though. I, I, I would lay those if I was putting money on this game, I got Baylor winning this one 35 to 31. I'm expecting a, a couple more points in this one uh, than what Vegas is, but I, I just, I'm having a hard time envisioning a Kansas State victory 
uh, after this past Saturday. Again, I certainly hope at the end of the day that I'm wrong. I always say that whenever I project the team to lose, but I, I really do hope that's the case this week. And I hope what we talked about, the carrot of potentially getting to a nine-win regular season, and, and who knows if, if you get the help in the right spots, getting into the Big 12 championship game is, is not off the table for this team. So uh, they know the stakes are high, and they know they have to go out and deliver on the road. The Wildcats have played night games in all their Big 12 conference uh, uh, road tilts, so there are not going to be any strangers to, to the stage, and Baylor's having to, to sell or to give away tickets to this one because the Fans aren't apparently super jacked for the Wildcats coming to town. So we'll see what happens. It'll be an interesting game to take in. Baylor's going to be rocking all black uniforms. I feel like every team that K-State plays this year is just throwing out some sort of alternate look, doing something to try and motivate and inspire the guys. I don't know what, what, why that's happening or why K-State's been the, the the opponent of choice as far as that goes. But uh, this is a big game. Once again, for the Wildcats, it's, and it's yet another hurdle for Chris Kleiman and the company to see if they can clear this and, and if he can finally get over the hump and beat Baylor. It's a big contest. Six o'clock kick going to be on Fox Sports 1 for those of you not making the trek to Waco. Big game coming up this Saturday. And, and let's hope that we're all talking about a Wildcat victory uh, at about 9.15 Saturday night. So, that is going to do it for this installment of College and Kimball. Thank you very much for sticking with us and listening on whatever your preferred app is. Subscribe to our podcast. As we said, you can find us on all the major platforms. Follow us on Twitter at college underscore Kimball. With all that being said, I'm going to go ahead and close this one out the way that I always do. Cats, man. If you know, you know. Let's go get it done.